I'm this week's host, Eddie Webb, and with me is Dixie Cochran. Hello. I feel like I'm always here, but then I wasn't here for a while. Right. You mean so you, were, you were present, and then you were not present, and now you're present again, but we don't have Matthew anymore, so I think there's some kind of quantity that we have to keep. Like Matthew and I are actually mortal enemies. I'm not sure if I've told you that. Oh, are you, are you siding with Ian in the blood feud between him and Matthew? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I need to. Just for reasons. I don't know what the reasons are. I just feel like I should. Uh, clearly, you've thought this out and have very strong moral feelings. Yeah, yeah. Very strong feelings about... I mean, it's, it's really just about which side of the ocean you're on. <laughs> Stupid water. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's all this water in the way. So I can't ally with Matthew because we can't get together and have, you know, plans. But I could actually, like, drive to see Ian if I really wanted to. So there you go. So, so... Because he is close, therefore he is your your friend. Yeah, I'm on your side too. Aren't aren't, aren't you on our side? I I am trying to stay neutral in in the the crawling, escalating conflict. If that's true, you're gonna have to move to like Bermuda or something. <laughs> you need to be in the middle of the ocean. You can go to you can go to Greenland. You can go to Iceland. Ooh, Iceland. <laughs> they have a volcano there that I cannot pronounce. They have a lot of things there that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> There's a few things I can pronounce there, like Reykjavik. That's about it. Um, but no, uh, Matthew is uh, not with us uh, this week. Um, he is recovering from the convention. Uh, but uh, instead with us, we have our amazing Kickstarter concierge, James Bell. Hey, James, how you doing? Hello. Oh, I was waiting to see if there was an another Kickstarter concierge. Because you said amazing. <laughs> oh, oh, this you is You said awkward. amazing, and then it was like, oh, we have the regular mediocre Kickstarter concierge. Always, always downplay myself. That's what I have to do. I don't know. Last time I checked on a Kickstarter and the image I had of you, you were a legit exalt with like three Dyclaves. So yes. you're better than me and Eddie. I've, I've had that. Uh, I have my, uh, I'm lucky enough to have an art daughter. I got an art daughter. And so I, <laughs> part of her tasks of being an art child are uh, doing my little avatar guys. So I've had that waiting. Uh, ever since I heard about um, Essence, where where do you get an art daughter? Do you have to like yeah, right, a, like, like a store, like a store or... and buy yep. one? Yep, that's exactly where. No, wait, you, I uh... was an art daughter. Yeah, there you go. Shit, where did my parents <laughs> get me? Have you been designing their little logos? I, I I have in the past, but I've also got an art father. So oh well, like... yeah, no, she suffers that way. <laughs> that she does not have one of those but yeah like my my dad and my stepdad are both far better artists than i am so yeah they never needed me i was like an extra art daughter well that's i think that's what it is that's the the joys of parenthood are you're trying to compensate for your own shortcomings they should have so. got well they they did get an english daughter not like English isn't from England. Right, right. In, uh... <laughs> they got they had Mary Poppins as their daughter. <laughs> it was weird. But my dad's also really good at grammar and spelling. Like he's the reason I'm in. What? What's my purpose in life? I'm I'm so okay. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, we have had James on the podcast for two yeah. minutes, and I'm having an existential crisis. I was about yeah. to say it's like um this is and first I don't think we've ever had it questioning our own existence moment on the podcast so we can check that off the list. I'm trying to figure out what kind of daughter I am, I feel like I'm playing Disco Elysium. <laughs> Which of the voices are in your head are speaking right now? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of volition. Lots of volition. There we go. Um, so as entertaining as that is, that's actually not why we brought James on the podcast. That was kind of just a side benefit. Oh yeah, yeah, my my existential crisis is a side benefit. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yes, you've seen my my latest uh, thing is uh, I have a little exalted avatar because we're <laughs> currently at time of recording. We're currently in the middle of the middle end. We're at the we're ending the middle plateau of the Kickstarter. Although this one really hasn't had much of a plateau. I would say that we're three quarters of the way through. Yes, that's exactly where we are. I know. That's why I said it. Perfect. <laughs> Um, and actually, that's um, one of the reasons why uh, we wanted to bring you on is to kind of talk about some of the nitty gritty of crowdfunding. Because a couple of weeks ago, we had talked about crowdfunding in general and our perspectives as as creators and and the the, the emotional and the coasters that come with it. But you've been on the other side of it. Um, but before I get into all that, um, I want to talk about you a little bit first. Like, how did you? get into the tabletop industry? How did you get to meet Rich? How did you get involved on path? What is your origin story? Uh, I was living with my aunt. No, that's a Spider-Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll try not your to parents be... parents got killed in an alley. Yeah. Uh, no, wait, that's Batman. Can you imagine if my parents had been killed in an alley? And and, and, and just, I just said that? Just like, can we stop the podcast? <laughs> um, so I'll try, I'll make it, I'll try and make it quick without being too boring. Or both. I'll make it as brief as possible and try not to be boring. Now make it that's boring and long. That's, that's, right. that, that's what I listen to. That is our aesthetic. This is where you hear a clear edit. <laughs> click. And then, so, um, like a lot of uh, old people, I uh, played a lot of RPGs in the 80s mm-hmm. and uh, played all those games. And then uh, when done when finished high school and all friends went their own way that kind of diminished so that i'm blowing through stuff so i'm getting you to 1999 essentially so this is what happens in 1999 after not playing for a long time and and building lives and uh and getting married and buying starter homes and getting jobs um there came a point at the turn of the millennium when we all had y2k fever Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so friends and I who hadn't got together as often as we would like said, you know, what we should do is we should get together like we used to when we were kids and play an RPG, like play D&D or something. And we all went, yeah, we haven't done that in a long time. And we did. Cool. Uh, and that's something that uh, I have some friends where uh, nostalgia kicks hard in the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as soon as uh, the fall starts, uh, as soon as autumn comes, it's like, Let's do all the things we used to do uh, when we were young. Is that like nice. hitting like a school year kind of situation? It could be. I think there's a lot of triggers in there. There's a lot of, yeah. and yeah. You're like, summer's over. Time to do a yes. different kind of socializing. So um, we got together and we played a game and it was fun. And at that exact same moment, um, my wife was pregnant with my art daughter. So I was also in the middle of crazy nesting mode. Mm-hmm. Where it was like, I need to build things and I need to, why aren't we repainting walls? And I need all the action figures that don't exist, but I'll make them. <laughs> um, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, so I had uh, a moment with my friends where I said, that was really fun that we all got together. Um, you know what would be neat? Do you remember ads in old Dragon Man? And like I said, we hadn't really been involved in the RPG world for five or six or seven years. Right. So a lot of old references and not current thinking, but I said, remember the ads in old dragon magazines and stuff when you could 
do mail order and people would send you their home campaign kind what if we did something like that so i was sitting with my friends and the reason i thought of this is because you know one had gone to art school and one was a printer and i was like hey i and i was working in retail at the time and did for three decades but it was like i know how to do distribution and stuff and you can draw and write and you know how to print things what if we did and i imagined uh, a world where we would have little Ziploc bags uh, full of like pictures of monsters and whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so they said, yeah, that sounds fun. And uh, we can do that part time. And that would mostly it was an excuse to hang out. Mostly right. it was an excuse to be more involved in each other's lives. And mm-hmm. like I said, at the time, um, I was probably working. I was sitting behind a desk doing operations for somebody in distribution or some something like that so it was a chance to do something a little more creative and colorful and see each other in the millennium fever and then as we were talking about that idea that meant nothing or was one off that's when um they announced that they were doing the third edition of dungeons and dragons and that's when they announced that they were doing the open game license and the d20 Mm. license uh so I was like, oh, well, this seems to be set up to do exactly what we were talking about. What if we did this? Right. Boom. So that that's how all of that started. So like a lot of people in 2000, I uh, and friends of mine jumped on the D20. Well, we didn't jump on the D20 bandwagon. The D20 bandwagon rolled up as we were thinking, as we were walking along that same path in our thoughts. And we were happy to hop on the bus moving the same way that we were. So um, we, you know, we were all in over our heads. We didn't know what we were doing, but we did it anyway. And uh, remarkably, we all had a crazy amount of energy, um, but that was, we were still in our twenties. So mm-hmm. uh, I can't imagine doing now what we did then, mm-hmm. but right. we, so we got to, and this is at the same time, as I said, uh, first daughter was born. Uh, just bought new house, new job, all that kind of stuff. I so there must have just been so much energy from all these activities, and just a not no sleep needed, I'm sure. Um, so I did that, and we started a, a publishing company um, in 2000, and started putting out stuff for D and D third edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when those books came out, uh, the player's handbook came out at Gen Con in 2000 and Mm -hmm. then their DMs guide came out in September and then their monster manual for third edition came out in October, I believe. Now the big thing was they had introduced this license that allowed you to create your own stuff compatible with the rules. And that's when White Wolf created the creature collection. Right. So that was their first big D20 release. And the, the historic story is it beat the monster manual out. So mm-hmm. uh, the White Wolf guys all got together and hammered out a book, you know, pretty much over the weekend, and <laughs> basically, uh, yeah, and got it out and uh, sold truckloads. Was that it. for Scarlands or was it just a yes. D20? Oh, that okay, was, okay, that, that was, was the original, the first, the original first Scarlands release. Okay, the creature cool. collection that came out before I'm Wizards of the Coast put out their monster manual. Like that's how fast they got this thing out. Because the first product came out in August, mm-hmm. and they had this out before October. Yeah, I I didn't get into a long term D and D campaign until probably oh three or oh four, 
So yeah. I was not aware of that happening. I was mostly playing vampire in 2000 because I was a spooky goth kid. It was um, it was the kind of thing where, you know, uh, White Wolf through their sword and sorcery imprint had success. And then the next day there right. were 7,000 companies that were like, hey, we can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, the sword and sorcery team, which was the, I guess, the division they had built in White Wolf based on the success of Creature Collection, uh, they knew they needed more content. So they uh, went out and found a couple partners that they could put under a sword and sorcery umbrella to release things alongside their scarred lands product. Mm-hmm. So the, the first person they talked to was Clark Peterson from a company uh, called Necromancer games. And um, the, you know, he was organized early and he was also a lawyer. And so during the initial conversations about the open game license, between wizards of the coast and the fans who would use the license, Clark often acted as, um, as legal counsel, as unofficial legal, you know, so there were a lot of uh, messages to the group where they would, where Clark would say, um, you know, I know we're hammering out this license, but we need some kind of gentleman's agreement that when everything's finalized, if we put out something early and then blah, blah, blah. And wizards would send back a thing and say, absolutely understood. Clark considered this a gentleman's agreement. So Clark's name was part of that, which mm-hmm. was a good reason to partner with him because mm-hmm. whether whatever legally uh, was, at least it had his name. So right. they reached out to Clark and said, Hey, do you want to bring your company under sword and sorcery as well? And he said, sure. And then, um, they re- and then Clark reached out to me and said, because we had put out one book, uh, I think in November of 2000. And he said, hey, I like it. Do you want to join this too? And so cut back to us sitting around a kitchen table thinking that maybe we could print something off on eight, and half, uh, eight by 11 paper and fold it into a Ziploc bag. And now White Wolf is on the phone calling us to see if we want to become wow. partners with them in this thing. So yeah, that was a little surreal. Um, and the, I mean, the, the thing that worked about it for us is we had no great ambitions. You know, we were not, this wasn't, um, mm-hmm. uh, this wasn't how our, our break in. So it was easy. It was easy to say, sure, let's go along for the ride because that's what this whole thing was. So uh, Steve Wick from White Wolf called me in the end of 2000 and said, do you want to... Uh, uh, join our, uh, our little umbrella that we're building or fall under this little umbrella we're building with sword and sorcery. And then he reached out to one other person, uh, who was Monty cook mm. who had mm. created, uh, he was one of the key designers on third edition and then had left wizards of the coast to pursue his own things. So simultaneous to that, um, the three of us and, and, oh, I should say our, so our little company was called fiery dragon. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it was me and a guy named Todd and a guy named JK. Uh, And then we had another person that helped with editing. And eventually we adopted a little boy in Brazil named Claudio Pozas, who did the cover for Pirates of Pugmire. (laughs) Essentially. So it was, it was. Is that, is that, is that your art son? Yes. He's my, he's my, he's my brother from another mother in another continent in another world. But uh, so we were lucky enough to team up with him real quick. Uh, he was really the first freelancer that we hired because we mm-hmm. knew 
Um, one of the things that we wanted to do, we call ourselves, the company was named Fiery Dragon Productions because we wanted products that were physical on the table. And a lot of the, uh, when third edition came out, it had a, a heavy emphasis um, on tabletop play. And, you know, because Wizards was also launching a line of miniatures and a line mm -hmm. of stuff like that. So one of the things when we used to play games back in the 80s, um, we played a lot of, uh, when we played superheroes, we played a lot of Villains and Vigilantes, one of the early superhero yep. games, and Marvel and stuff. Marvel had uh, little cardboard counters, Villains yes. and Vigilantes. Their adventures came with cardstock counters uh, stapled in the middle, or on the back, actually. Right. They were um, on the triangle. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted that. We wanted to, well, if we're going to do stuff, we want, um, you know, things that you can hold up and say, this is what the room looks like. We want little pictures of monsters that you can put on your table. So uh, Claudio was a person that um, could create a whole lot of art that worked at one inch <laughs> with a lot of, a lot of character and personality in his pictures. And uh, uh, one of the most um, just naturally talented artists I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And we met online and blah, blah, blah. The second freelancer we hired was Monty Cook. So that wow. was hilarious because we were in so far over our heads. That's so weird to think about. Yes. Well, we did. And the reason it happened is because we didn't know any better. You know, you know what I mean? It was one right. of those things. We put out one adventure. And um, Monty had just left Wizards and was starting up his own business and his own website. So he was, um, you know, he released a thing called, hey, this is, if I was redoing the Ranger, this is how I do it, just to test the waters and get downloads and stuff. And then he looked at some of those first D20 products. And we were, I mean, I say we came out in November, but we were still uh, pretty early in the cycle because, again, the Monster Manual had only come out in October. Mm -hmm. So people were only able to see how things were built um, that early. So we came out pretty fast and Monty reviewed it on his site and said, this is pretty good. So we reached out to him and said, do you want to write something for us? And he said, sure. Cause he hadn't planned his next steps fully yet either. Mm -hmm. So then Steve called and said, do you want to be part of this? We're going to bring in you and Necromancer games. And then Monty cook is starting up another thing. And I said, well, he the first thing he publishes for you won't be the thing that you're that he's writing though it'll be for us because we got him for and that's that was our big battle but um so uh cut to 2001 gen con was the first time that we all got together um so uh, i had dinner with steve and monty uh and clark was there i think and the three of us from fiery dragon and uh, we're welcome aboard as part of the sword and sorcery imprint and told this is what we do. And our first, our first two releases are, I don't know if our first release or first two came out at that Gen Con. Wow. So that was also, you know, the first time really that we had, uh, we had gone to Gen Con in 2000 to, to kind of see the lay of the land and this new D20 thing and set up distribution for our book. And, uh, and then 2001, we came and we got to stand at the White Wolf booth and, uh, and say, uh, we don't know how this works, but this book is one we did. <laughs> and, uh, and that was great because Steve, uh, that's, so that's when we met Steve. And that's when he said, uh, hey, is there anything you want from the booth? And I said, 
oh my god oh my god i want adventure so bad and so he's like well here's a copy of adventure that just came out and i said also i want exalted that it just came out too so <laughs> hilariously enough that in 2001 i got my first copy of exalted handed to me by the, all the white wolf team but as we were um there that was also the time that um steve introduced us to some of the other white wolf people and that's when we met rich Mm. so and somehow i don't know how but somehow uh we hit it off like gangbusters i think um i think because we didn't know anything you know i think that we were charming because we were coming in from uh uh, just a place of total ignorance uh (laughs) uh you know no concept of what's going on no clue to who anybody was uh no pretense about us that we were just there um and amazed at the ride like we were just uh goofy so uh i think we got along and Mm -hmm. um uh then the whole sword and sorcery sword and sorcery thing for us was short-lived at the end of the day um because as we hit that first year of d20 releases um that's when everybody caught up and then um the market was completely saturated in about 18 months and it was crazy. Like it was, um, you know, suddenly the same thing that we did where we said, Hey, Mm -hmm. we could do this. Uh, 8 million other people, the, the barrier entry had been uh, pushed so low and, um, and you could just crank stuff out. I, I mean, you know, there, there were still some challenges back then because it was still a physical PDFs hadn't become a, a thing. Right. Um, so you still had to figure out how to do printing and distribution and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, which was great because I knew how distribution worked and we had a guy who knew how printing worked and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because eventually White Wolf handled that for us. So we got to look pretty smart. Um, but then by, you know, 2002, 2003, that's when you have distributors running away with people's money and retailers trying to keep up with, 60 or 70 releases in a month that yeah where the the quality varied to say the least yeah um i mean it's you know it's it's exponentially bigger on something like dm's guild or the the other community content programs now but just imagine that hose turned on retailers where you know the first three months it was like this is amazing because we're getting so much more mm-hmm. new stuff out and people are on this bandwagon and then by month 12 saying, please stop, please, please stop. So, uh, and also you had no way of retailers and no way of knowing what was good, and what was bad. Mm-mm. No, I mean, we had, we had some bonus because, uh, at least white wolf had that relationship. Right. Um, but even within, you know, the, the, the stuff that was put out under sword and sorcery included, you know, scarred lands included necromancer games, included Monty cook, uh, his company, Malhavik and included mm-hmm. fiery dragon. And they weren't all the same. Like, um, you know, our stuff was fine for three guys sitting around a table, but it it wasn't, you know, it, you were getting a huge diverse just within that one distributor. Right, because you have, like, your stuff, but it's up there. It, it's in the same shelf in the same company, quote-unquote, as, like, Tolus, and it's in the same yeah. thing. It's, like, the Ravenloft reboot, and, and, yes. and, and so it's, like, it's not a quality change so much as just it's, it's all very different stuff, even though it's all nominally D20. All over the place. So, mm-hmm. and we also, um, when we signed up with Sword and Sorcery, there were two deals on the table for us, 
and one was um, you guys, uh, Sword and Sorcery, uh, White Wolf said to us, you guys provide uh, words, and we will take them and hammer them and give you this much uh, out of the sales after we pay all the production costs. And the other deal was you guys give us the complete book, and you're in charge of all the creative side of that, and then we will print it and sell it and give you this much after we've covered our printing and selling costs. And we wanted control. So we went for option two, mm -hmm. which gave us uh, more control, but less money. And then we got to a point, like I said, uh, not very far in uh, 2003, where the costs of printing and distribution um, were not necessarily covered by the sales. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So that's when you go, oh, I don't know that this deal works for us anymore because uh, we just end up owing you guys money. How, how? Um, so we went back on our own and changed kind of the way we did things and ended up turning the business uh, into a lot more um, about support and about uh, other ancillary projects and stuff that you that wasn't coming out from these 8 million other companies. You know, everybody was writing adventures. And everybody right. was creating, you know, uh, eight, a book of eight new swords and a book of eight new halfling guys. Right. Um, but we we could put out, you know, little cardboard counters all day long that nobody else was doing because they were all smarter than us. Um, but we also got into stuff, you know, we did uh, uh, war games and we did um, uh, just other tools for the table, you know, uh, templates that you could lay over, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and and a few other licenses we picked up and we partnered with other companies. Uh, you know, we did a lot of work with Green Ronin. We did a lot of work uh, with Monty at the end of the day. We wrote another adventure for him and supported Tallis and that kind of stuff too. So it was... Um, and then we, so by 2003, I think by 2003, we had our own booth and we weren't part of Sword and Sorcery anymore, but we were all friends. Like we had hit it off so well those first couple of years that um, I think we went to the White Wolf party every time we were there. I think we, you know, went out for dinner with Rich at least once every convention and mm -hmm. kept in touch throughout the year and played various games with him and, um, you know, with uh, Steve and Stuart. Um, played D and D with those guys. Played other games with them, and and they're they're all friends. There's a ton of friends we have from that time where we see them once a year, but we fall right back into those same rhythms. Yeah, and uh, and it's like no time has passed. It's like uh, uh, for a lot of people, I think the first time you go to a gaming convention where you find your people, mm -hmm. and uh, and then. Uh, you live 51 weeks just waiting to get back to uh, that warm embrace of all those same things. So that's how it was. So Fiery Dragon continued for the next 10 years. Uh, we put out 70 projects uh, by the end of that. I have no idea how. The last <laughs> thing we did, um, so I'll keep, uh, this is where I keep related to Onyx Path. The last thing we did, we were winding down the company. Um, because like I said, this was 10 years later. So all the energy we had when we were in our late twenties was gone. Right. <laughs> we were, we, now there were three kids and there were, uh, houses to pay and other jobs that, uh, so this was always a hobby business for us, but other jobs that just didn't allow us to have that freedom. Uh, we had brought in, uh, we had a couple, um, 
you know, uh, extra fiery dragon people that weren't the original three, but, um, but our friend Scott, who's gone on to do a ton of stuff with, uh, uh, Steve and Rich and worked for CCP for a long time. And, uh, and a couple others all came and did stuff. Um, but the, the last thing we worked on, uh, so then 3.5 came out and that killed a whole lot of the market. And then eventually fourth edition D and D came out and was a whole other thing. And they got rid of their D 20 license and changed how it all worked. We, uh, and then moved a lot of stuff online. That was the other big thing, but we wanted to see if there was anything else we could do. Um, so we talked and we had the license for scarred lands and sword and sorcery for fourth edition. So the last thing okay. we we worked on was the creature collection for fourth edition. That was the uh-huh. last fiery dragon release to bring it all full. I guess mid circle because there's another full circle coming. So uh, we put out. Um, you are a Venn diagram. James. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a overlap in the weirdness. But so we had we put out a fourth edition version of creature collection. We had the sword and sorcery logo. And we had made a deal uh, where CCP, who had um, smashed together with White Wolf at that time and Mm -hmm. created that version, um, where we were going to release, you know, the Creature Collection and Relics and Rituals and put out new Scarland stuff. And we had contacted writers and and had big hopes for it. But uh, 4th Edition um, was a completely different animal. And uh, the Creature Collection did not work the the way we wanted to and in the end i think we we had big ambitions and then scaled them back and played a little bit more safe um and so then we went to talk to ccp about how the license would work and going forward and they weren't interested in communication at the time (laughs) they they were they were masters of uh you probably know all this stuff where you would email and then go i'll hear back from you in three months Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember there was a time where I emailed somebody and hadn't heard back because it was like we were just talking. We're paying you for this licensing fee. I was like, okay, this is the next project. And one time I emailed Rich and said, uh, do you know, has this person, have they talked to you? Can you? And Rich said, uh, I'm looking online and that person hasn't logged into their computer in 390 days. And it's like, oh, I guess we're not going to hear. So that kind of fizzled, <laughs> fizzled away. I'm like, are they still employed or what's the, the deal? But um, but we were done. We were done as a company at the same time. Like the, it wasn't uh, it wasn't because CCP was slow getting back to us on things. I mean, they had other focuses uh, right. and, you know, some weird company, some weird Canadian guy sitting around a kitchen table creating stuff for a license that they weren't particularly invested in uh, wasn't where they wanted to spend their time. Right. And uh, and we were done with it, too. I think by that point, um, you know, the, and I'm sure you've experienced it. A lot of the stuff is you you do all this. You love these games because they're fun and because you mm-hmm. can sit around with your friends and play them. But it gets to a point where um, you where the fun and the work have merged and everything just becomes work. Mm-hmm. And anytime you're playing whatever or looking at whatever, is this a is this a product that we're putting out? Are we wasting our time by, you know, it got to the point where uh, if you were trying to have fun, it would be, are we misspending our time because we should be focused on, you know, something that drives blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So we were pretty much done. So we wrapped up Fiery Dragon uh, in 2010 with that creature collection. And uh, 
uh, kept in touch with everybody. We did one more thing. We participated in a Kickstarter uh, with Green Ronin where they did their um, their Freeport book uh, for mm-hmm. Pathfinder. So we designed and wrote that. Uh, and it was massive. And that's when um, when we just remembered that it's uh, uh, while we can really turn out stuff when the heat is on uh, and the, the pressure is on, we can write a lot. But uh, at the end of the day, um, it's always just easier to work for ourselves. And if we're going to create, we want to do it at our own pace. And so we wrapped up. But all that time, we kept in touch with all the people from White Wolf and through Rich. And then Rich went through all his stuff with CCP and eventually broke off and formed Onyx Path and said, mm. you know, can I buy the Scarredlands license, uh, he and Stuart? And they said, oh, do we still have that? Yeah, here you go. So that's how I think, because that's how much attention they paid to it when we had the license. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so all through that time, like I said, it was a hobby business and my uh, quote unquote real job um, has been working in uh, retail in the Canadian world um, in mass and specialty. And so I just pictured you working in a store called Canadian world, Canadian world. <laughs> where you only sold like maple that syrup is, uh, and flags where in in our zone, you know, um, the way things work is we have our we have the beer store where you go to buy beer, mm-hmm. and we have Canadian Tire where you go to buy your tires. Okay. So yes, Canadian World would be about the way. <laughs> and you have Tim Hortons where you go to buy your donuts. Yes, and your Timbits. I'm surprised it's not called Donut Land or something. Like that. <laughs> Canadian Donuts. Canadian Donut Land. Where you can buy your Canada bits. Yes. So, so my, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, my trajectory. So I, my first job, uh, here's a parallel. My first job was, you know, in a video store asking people if they wanted VHS or beta. Yeah. Uh, and then I was at, involved in retail in some aspect until I was selling 4k Blu-rays through, um, the last national record store in Canada. So, uh, which, you know, is, is whatever it is, uh, uh, Matthew would get, I worked for HMV in Canada, um, uh, which is, uh, they're a big British retailer, but they're also, you know, we share a queen. So we share all the same companies. Right. So, um, as all things in that field, uh, if it still existed, I mean, this past year would have wiped it out, but we came to an end. You came, we Mm -hmm. came to an end when we could keep a hundred stores that sold DVDs and, and records going and not because we weren't being successful because they're, and this is uh, probably four or five years ago, four years ago, five years ago. I'll keep, I'll change that a lot, but uh, um, what is time? Yeah, exactly. But you get to a point where um, the companies that supply you with the products you sell uh, are less risk adverse. You know, when, when, um, all the book companies go out, they don't want to sell you books anymore because suddenly you're a huge risk. Right. Um, so, mm-hmm. so there was, you know, as tower records shut down as, uh, whatever, I think the, the last straw was when Hastings had trouble and we were selling, you know, movies and books and pop culture stuff, which was a awesome, fun business to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the companies couldn't keep giving us the the same credit or the same assurances because they couldn't take the hit eventually 
when our business would go down, if it would. Mm -hmm. So we got to the point where um, I found myself uh, out of a job. I was, you know, closed, closed the doors, turned off the lights, um, and then went to Gen Con because that's what we did every year. And then I was sitting at a table. I had lunch with Rich, and this was 2017. And I said, man, I'm going to have to get a job soon. And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, yeah, like I've enjoyed my time. I've enjoyed not commuting because I had a, uh, you know, around Toronto, we have the worst commutes. Um, regardless of what whoever's listening, here's how bad the commute is. It's worse here. That's what I'll say. Because uh, we have winter. I would never. <laughs> I used to live in Connecticut. Come on. There, there you go. I know. I once drove to Toronto during a snowstorm. Oh, that's To crazy. visit my friend. That's crazy. <laughs> it was a weird, it was, it was one of those weird, like, April snowstorms uh-huh. that we get sometimes. Oh. Because I was May. going, yeah, I was yeah. going up there for my birthday um, in, like, 2014, 2015. Um, oh, I remember that. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was driving up there, and I got, like, half an hour into my drive, and it started just, like, snowing a lot. Um, luckily, I just parked myself behind a uh, semi. Yes. And just drove in their ruts yeah. for oh, the whole absolutely. time. I have done that. <laughs> because I was driving my 2004 Saturn Ion, <laughs> but I made it to Canada, and that was Victory. the important part. And then I actually went to the beer store to get oh. <laughs> uh, beer and stuff for me and my friend, and uh, was delighted and horrified to see things like Budweiser in the import beer section. Yeah. <laughs> it's It's odd. It is so weird. I was like, I was like, y'all's import beer section sucks because it's all like American beer that nobody here it's, wants. Yeah, it's better. We have it's better now. But the weird thing for us is when we're down in the in the states and we go into Target and it's like you can buy wine. What? We're so <laughs> right. that, restricted in what we that do depends here. entirely on the yes, state though. Absolutely. Because when I was uh, also in, depends on here too. Yeah, because when I was living in Washington State, you could buy like liquor anywhere yeah and then i moved back to connecticut and then which is you know former puritan colony and then down to maryland and it's like no you have to go to the specific like there's there are wine and beer stores and then there are liquor stores yes they are different yes and you can't buy any of it at that is how it that is how it works here but if i go one mile south into dc then i can buy liquor wherever i want it's the same (laughs) we can drive to quebec and you can buy Pick up beer at the Defender or the corner store. When I, when I grew up in Ohio, um, we actually, it was like the 80s and the 90s. I don't know if it's still true, but liquor and alcohol could only be sold in state stores. Like mm-hmm. a, a store owned by the state is yeah. the only place you could buy that out of alcohol. Yeah. And so you'd see like a huge grocery store and then next to it, attached to it, would be a state store. Yes, which we've, which in, in North Carolina was called the ABC store. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first alcohol. in the alphabet. Oh. No, it was like the alcohol bureau, something. That's, I don't know. Yes, our our wine store is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. I have I have found LCBO. out recently that my uh, that package store is a regional term, which mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah, I was talking to my boyfriend about going to the package store to pick up you know alcohol, and mm. he was so confused because he, he thought I was talking about going to like a, a, a UPS. Right. Oh yeah, and I, I was like I was that. like no, I'm going to the it's the package store, and he's like he's like. Who calls it that? And I'm like, I, I don't know people where you I call lived. it Kleenex. <laughs> face, facial tissue everywhere, uh, whatever. This, this is the pop soda divide, I think. Yes. You call cotton oh. swabs Q-tips? Strange. Send tears, a single tear. <laughs> so speaking speaking of alcohol, that's when Rich hired you. 
Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was lunch, so we weren't farting. But um, right. in 2017, so I was sitting there commiserating that I was going to have to find. Uh, I was I wasn't commiserating. I was going to have to find a job, but I was saying, oh, I, I've hit the end of my time at home, um, which I enjoyed immensely. I uh, was tired of the commute. I really liked spending my, both my kids were finishing up uh, high school at the time, or one of them was. And so it was great to be able to focus on the family. I hope the next job I find gives me the opportunity to uh, be home a lot more um, because being away for work and stuff, uh, boy, did I, am I happy that I'm home. And also I have to uh, figure out what I'm going to do next because the industry that I am a quote unquote expert in and have devoted 30 years to just doesn't exist anymore. You know, like mm -hmm. my, my, I, my fallback career of selling uh, rotary phones or uh, <laughs> fax machines. Yeah. Like, you know, there was, there was a time I, there oh, was no. a time where I was a buyer and every category uh, for a mass merchant and every category that I bought at the time doesn't exist anymore. You know, like I bought CRT televisions mm -hmm. and film for your camera and a cordless phone. Like nobody has any, it's all your iPhone. Now everything I bought has been wiped out. I am obsolete is what I'm saying. <laughs> so I was saying this to Rich, like, man, I'm going to have to go figure out what the next stage of my life is as you know, everybody who uh, has worked in all these industries that are going through change at the same time. Uh, this was where Rose was finishing up her last Kickstarter with Rich and had said that she wanted to go on to uh, other things. Mm -hmm. And so Rich was like, I, man, I hear you. I have to go find somebody to run Kickstarters because uh, uh, I just don't want to subject my employees to that, to that <laughs> pressure and pain. Right. I mean, yeah, you've got to be constantly on when, when, when you're doing one. And yeah, like, well, it's, We've always talked about how Rose was doing the work of at least three people, but now mm -hmm. it seems like she was doing the work of four people. Well, yeah. yeah. So he he was like, I'm I'm trying to figure out, and he was right in the middle of, I think, kind of restructuring the way he wanted Onyx Path to work, um, with you guys and stuff too. Like yep. it was he he was thinking, how do I shift my company around to make things better for people, to make projects work easier, to keep the streams all flowing. Because I, I think that exact same Gen Con, I was having a similar conversation with him about coming on board as the in-house developer. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yes. He did a lot of hiring decisions during that con. Yeah. Well, and, and that probably benefited me if he was in that mode of thinking. But there, mm -hmm. there, it was just this weird moment where we're sitting at a table and, and Claudio Poses was there. Like, so he was the one that said, oh, I, uh, let's go for lunch and I'll tell Rich too. So, you know, to circle it back to my little Brazilian friend. Who, uh, whose art I'm looking at right now because I have uh, Pirates of Pugmire in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> so as I'm saying, boy, I'd like a job that does this. And Rich is like, I need to find somebody who uh, can figure out how you know the the mechanisms behind the scene work for all the distribution stuff and can handle customer service. And I was like. I'm probably going to have to go to something where I interact with the public a lot more because even though I'd been in retail, I'd been out of a store for 30 years or 20 years or whatever it was. And, and then there was a moment where we looked at each other and it's like, are we talking about the same thing? Wow. So this is a whole long story about uh, just meeting somebody, like getting an idea and then meeting somebody in 2001 that 
uh, 15 years later um, is like, oh, well, your needs and my needs might overlap. And so I think what Rich was looking for at the time, and now maybe I don't know how it all works, but I think he was um, saw the benefit of having somebody to uh, kind of set up, build and run the Kickstarter campaigns who wasn't involved in the creative side of it because um, like you've said, I mean, it's doing the Kickstarter thing. It's not a hard job. Um, it's like what I do is not what I'm doing uh, with you guys is not complicated, but um, it does take time. And again, it's not hard, but it, it can draw, a, it does take a lot of your attention Yep. and it, it doesn't all take your attention, you know, during these four hours and these four hours, it can, it kind of is all over the place. And, uh, and it, then it's dealing with weird outlying customer service type issues and answering weird questions. And the more that you have to deal with that stuff, the less writing you're doing and right. the less, uh, you know, developing, you're doing, and that's, he said, I need somebody who, who, um, if they're running a Kickstarter, I'm not going to be sacrificing that the bread and butter of the company is the books we create. So I need somebody that I'm not taking away from the stuff that I, and, I, and the stuff that I love and the stuff I want to happen, um, to do the Kickstarter part of that. So, uh, so the first, so that was in August and then in, I think in September or maybe, maybe October, like, uh, Cavaliers of Mars was the first campaign that I helped out with. And oh, Rose, really? That's exciting. Yeah, Rose kind of showed me the ropes, um, a little bit as like, I'm out the door, but I have set it right. up. I have set it up for you. And, uh, and you know, luckily, uh, uh, I think the other thing Rich is, was looking for, and I don't know, we've never, I've never talked to him about any of this, you know, like, like there was a moment where Rich said, Hey, do you, do you, you know, I think we talked about Gen Con. Do you want to do that? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be interested. And even if it's, I said, even if it's, you know, three or four projects, um, while I work on other stuff and figure out, you know, what's next or set up other things or do some consulting for other people. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was, that's about the extent of the conversations we've had. <laughs> but I, I think he was looking for somebody who could um, figure it out as they go, sort it out on their own, um, not take resources from Onyx path, not because those are needed to get the books out. And also right. Rich knew um, what the schedule was that existed and what the schedule was that he wanted to be. Uh, I think he knew here are the books that are in progress and here's all the things like Trinity hadn't launched and Scion had happened, but not beyond the, you know, hero and origin. And he's like, eventually you, we're going to do another exalted Kickstarter. And uh, um, I just, I don't need my people kicked around during that. Uh, right. We got it, you know, we got it, whatever. So there, I think as, as you said, I think he was setting up Onyx path to work in a, a more, I don't know, more efficient the word, but just more creative and, uh, and more organized. I, I compartmentalized, I think is a good way of looking yeah. at it. Um, because I know one thing that he has said to, to us repeatedly is like, um, he recognizes that there is value in the creatives being active on the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But also he's mm -hmm. like, 
James is there to be your shield if yes. someone is being frustrating or if you can't deal with it. Um, and that's something actually I wanted to kind of dig into a little yes. bit is there's – you, you keep mentioning retail, but a lot of Kickstarter, I think mm-hmm. more than people realize, is community management. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of why like Rich hired me because we've 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 talked about about that before. Like I have a you know almost twenty year retail background. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I I can talk to people and I can put on a nice face even if somebody is being frustrating. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's uh it's like I I have a friend um who taught uh, had his own karate school for fifteen years, and then eventually mm-hmm. left and we worked together at other jobs and there would be days when we would be in meetings and it would be miserable. Um, corporate retail just had, it involves a lot of misery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, how, how are you not angry? And he said, my job for 15 years was getting kicked in the head. So <laughs> this is easy. And that's sometimes how I feel. It's like, you know, I've, yeah, no, I've been yelled at, uh, at during the Christmas season, uh, for eight hours and it's this is all this is great people come oh, to wow. Kickstarter they love it like it's they're awesome everybody's awesome nobody's in a mall and there's mm-hmm. nobody there's nobody in a mall who's been you know trying to find something at the last day before the holidays start uh, I don't have to deal with that so everything's gravy after that yeah yeah, no, yeah been there <laughs> yeah exactly oh man there's uh, I still it, you know, it's re- just as we digress. I know that you guys aren't prone to digression and veering off whatever. No, topics. no, no. We're very on. And topic. I know. Don't worry. We can edit out everything I've said so far to get to <laughs> exciting things. The episode but, starts uh, now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but uh, man, you know, like, like it's been at least twenty years since I've uh, actively worked in the store, and there's still flashbacks that happen. Like when I have um nightmares when i have those bad dreams about you know being in school and you don't remember there's a test it's all at retail it's all like the pos system isn't working the way in there's a lineup it's crazy how that stuff mm-hmm. will stick with you yeah i did um uh, uh cold calling for uh, a Oof. telephone um company for a while like i was the person who call and try to sell you on stuff back when that's that's like every millennial's nightmare like like millennials hate talking on the phone yeah Yeah, i hate talking on the phone i mean i'm in gen x but yeah i'm the same way and it's like i was only in that job for like a week i still get flashbacks to it and that was easily 20 years ago yeah that's my that's my nightmare like i that's probably the one of the hardest gigs you can and that's and and we've hit a world now and here's a giant digression again i mean we've hit a world where these gig economies or, or gig jobs are, are kind of, I, I don't know anybody who's got a job where you're like, well, this is me for the next 30 years. And right. You know, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I'm married to somebody who's got an awesome job and has allowed me. That's the real secret is that, uh, you know, I talk about having an idea with my friends and, and meeting rich and being in the right place at the right time. But the real secret is, uh, uh, I have a partner who's got security and stability and has allowed me to flit around and do all these things without uh, bringing down the house. So we're giving mm-hmm. the same advice that we gave to uh, women for hundreds of years. Marry well. Yeah. Marry right. well. Uh, if you can be, <laughs> yeah. The secrets are, as every article I read now about homeownership, the secret is be born rich. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 You can do that. Very simple. But uh, so, yeah, and, and to your point, um, I mean, uh, you know, Rose, Rose wasn't leaving because she wasn't, she was done being creative. It was like the, 
I think a lot of the interaction and campaigns had just worn her out. Yeah. And uh, in a lot of those projects. So, so I think Rich wanted somebody who, um, when it came time to talk about shipping and warehousing and stuff, I can do that all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, uh, uh, and I, I can be super nerdy about all that crap. But he also wanted somebody who had the, who, like you said, I can be the shield. I can be the uh, the moat between the um, the customers and the creative side because I have the armor of not being involved in the process. Right. And I'm uh, as every campaign. I mean, my favorite game is whatever Kickstarter is running right now. I'm I'm. Uh, it's so nice to hear that your favorite game is, is Exalted Essence. Thank you so much yeah, for that absolutely. compliment. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Until squeak starts, and then yeah, you know. shush, 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 shush. This is on yes. the record. On the record. <laughs> on the record. He said. Say, he said favorite essence game is whatever is, is running right now. What's running yes. right now is essence. Therefore, that's James's favorite game in perpetuity. Because I am. I, well, honestly, it's one of those things that I, I mean. I. It's not like I'm involved in seeing everything built. I'm the same as everybody else. I see it appear in your first draft list on the Monday meeting notes, and uh, and listen to it when you guys talk about a podcast. But I get to read. I mean, I usually get the draft manuscript before the Kickstarter comes up, sometimes during, but uh, usually before. <laughs> and uh, and I try and, um, you know, I don't really read ahead, but I'll, I'll tell you, like, every time you guys launch a game, I'm like, this sounds like the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I don't know if I've just got, like, goldfish memory where it disappears after, you know, 15 minutes or if I'm just so easily impressionable. Oh, shiny rock, shiny or, rock! Or maybe every game you put out is the best game you've ever heard of. Well, it's it's ongoing, continuous <laughs> awesomeness. It must be. So, um, as much as I love um, whatever game the Kickstarter is, uh, I don't. If somebody comes on and says, "Oh, I don't like the way that you've done this," that's no skin off my back. I didn't write it, right? You know what I mean? Like, and and I know that uh, that everything's not for everybody. So. So I have that, I have the armor of not being personally invested in the projects. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm happy to, uh, to sit there and be, and you know what? I mean, as, as much as for the disclaimer for all subsequent comments is, um, as with everything, 80% of everybody is awesome. Right. Uh, 20% require additional attention. And mm-hmm. most of those uh, people have just read something wrong or didn't understand, or it's the first campaign, or oh, sorry, I confused this and this. Right. And there's, mm-hmm. I, there's, you know, I've done at this point as we're having this conversation, I've done half of the Onyx Path Kickstarters. So whatever this is, three and a half years later, mm-hmm. um, I've run twenty five campaigns for Onyx Path, and there's a handful of people that have um, been grumpy to deal with. Mm-hmm. So most people are amazing. Um, those, so whenever I talk about, you know, the difficulties or whatever it's, and it's the same to cut back to retail. It's the same where you could be working in a store and have, you know, a hundred perfectly fine people come through and buy something. Uh, and then you can have some great people to come through and ask you about your day and buy something they're amazing. But then if you have one crap customer, that's uh, you when you go home, you say, man, what a crummy day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, I have a customer from my, my bookstore job in 2015 
that I will still talk about. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. she was so horrible. Like, we're, one of the worst customer encounters I've ever had. And it's like, wow. I mean, I, I will I will tell a story here because there's 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 no names. It's It's been seven years. Um, I had a customer who came up to my register when I was working at a bookstore. And she was buying one paperback book. And it was, it was, it was small. It was like a, like, like a mass market paperback, you know, typical mm. book size. Um, for context, it was a beautiful sunny day. There was no chance of bad weather. And so after she paid, I said, would you like a bag? Because oh my goodness. she is buying one book and it right. is a beautiful day outside. And a lot of people just carry their one book to their car right? because that's what you do. And she went silent, and she looked at me for a few seconds, took a beat, and then she said, are you fucking stupid? Of course I want a bag. Oh. Yeah. And then it just went downhill from there, because I was so flustered and so shocked at that answer right. that I, like, tried to explain myself, because I didn't know what else to do. I was, like, I was like, oh, it's just, it's a nice day, and not everybody wants a bag, and I'm sorry. And then, like, after a while, I was like, and, like, she said something else kind of rude. And then I finally was just kind of like, I'll just stop talking. And she looks at me once again and goes, I think that's a good idea. Wow. Ooh. And then I went in the back room and cried after she left because I was not because I was like upset or thought I hadn't done anything wrong. Yeah. I was just, I, I, I was shocked, honestly, because okay. I couldn't figure out where the hell she was coming from. Yes. Like I, I, I such a hostile reaction to me asking a very basic question. There's, there's a lot of things where, like, especially especially those retail jobs, especially in malls and stuff like that, where, I mean, a lot of the time when you're doing that, you're young or you, um, you know, you haven't, uh, you haven't hit, I'm lucky that I've hit the point where I have now stopped giving a shit. Uh, right. I'm making sure that your explicit tag is earned on your podcast. Good. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, I, I just said fucking. So oh, okay. yeah. see how that skated right past me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's the thing where uh, like people taking advantage of, you know, anyway, customer service people in those situations where they know that anyway, it all, it, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did customer service from the age of 15 to how old was I in 2018? 33. And then I kept doing it for a couple of years. So 35. So yeah, yeah literally 20 years. Um, so this was, this was when I was like 29. And for the most part, I could just laugh off customers at that point. But yeah, that, that, that reaction was just so unexpected. You know, it's like, it's like if you walked up to somebody and was like, do you have the time? And they punched you in the face. Right. You know, right. it was just such a weird thing where I was like, what the hell just happened? And uh, I mean, you know, in retrospect and, and years on looking back at that, you know, that um, it had nothing to do with you. Oh yeah. No, she, she probably had a terrible day or yes. like fought with her husband or yes. had a legal issue or something going on. And yeah, I, 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 I know that, but it's hard. In but the it was moment, weird. Yeah. yeah. I had a store where, um, I mean, so this was mid nineties. I had a store where we sold movies uh, as perfect Canadian stores called the movie selling store. But um, <laughs> So, and, and this was uh, still in the era of rental where people mostly rented. This is VHS zone time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, old man, old man. Um, and people used to come into my store in the mall and say, what do you do? And we'd say, well, we sell movies. And they'd say, why would somebody buy a movie when you can rent it? Like, why would they pay prices to buy it when you can rent stuff? And I'm like, 
we're across the hall from a bookstore. And I'm like, why are people buying books? You know, there's libraries, right? <laughs> like, why would you? And then, you know, it's ridiculous that in retrospect that all of that stuff. I, I mean, I don't think we were ahead of the curve, but it just, it's, it does seem odd when people come in and just, the, the conversation is just justify what you do here and whatever. And that's, right. uh, I mean, on Kickstarter, <laughs> that's, that's the biggest things is um, people don't, they don't have time to read your whole giant. I try and put, and I'm terrible at it, but I try and put as much information on the home page or on the front page as possible. And then I have to pair it back so that it makes sense. But I try, you know, like every question is answered there, but people don't have time or inclination to read through all that. So mostly my job is just to repeat you know, information, read them the information that I wrote that they didn't look at or <laughs> explain why we're doing this, you know? So, and, and again, you know, 80% of the people are amazing. Uh, 19% of the people uh, misread something or just needed whatever, or their book shipped in the wrong place. And that's, and then there's 1% that I don't know why. And that's the ones we could talk about forever because there's people and it hasn't been bad in a long time, but there are people that used to come on campaigns pre COVID. I think uh, people were more ornery maybe yeah. now they're more exhausted, but there were, <laughs> there were people that would come on and the thing about Kickstarter is you you can't comment on it unless you're a backer, mm -hmm. but it doesn't cost you anything to back because the money's not collected till the end. But there were people that would come on just to complain <laughs> and you'd say, like, is this, why is this worth your time? Like, right. is it worth your time just to come on and, and complain about a book that, like, if you don't want the book, just don't I don't it. know why you're here. And actually, um, uh, we're getting close on time, but that does lead me to kind of uh, one question that I've been wanting to ask you. Um, you've been doing this now for three years, and, and you obviously have a lot of experience in, in what we'll call traditional retail. So is there anything about crowdfunding specifically that's really surprised you? I mean, crowdfunding, is, it's a mate from a, from, a, from a company standpoint, from a producers of stuff. Uh, it's the greatest thing ever because it completely mm -hmm. uh, changes the way cash flow works. And mm -hmm. I, I am, I am shocked um, because in olden days, in olden days, this would have been a pre-order system. And there's still right. a lot of people that think of it that way, but like you guys have mentioned on your podcast, that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people that treat it like, a pre but, but for the most part, um, having the money to work on the project, the way that is the best for the team and the project is unbelievable. And just the backer support for that is incredible to me. It really takes a lot of the risk out. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of the risk out, but, but the community just, um, but the fact that it gets the support it does, the fact that people want to see these projects created and understand that, you know, there are people, mm. like I said, that will come on Kickstarter thinking of it as a pre-order system and I put my money down and give me my book when it's ready. But there's so many more, that are invested, investing in the company, like they're investing in the project mm -hmm. and, and the want to see it, want it to do well because they want the best book they can. They also want to hit stretch goals and see what else they can grow. But the, the great thing for me is it's not far into a campaign. If it's successful where people say, can we do a stretch goal that 
um, increases the pay or gives a bonus or does something for the writers. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we get more artwork? How do we get more artists involved in this project? Um, that's awesome. Like that's, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I tend to, I try not to be cynical in all of my Kickstarterness, And I think I do a pretty good job of just being a happy dope, a smiling puppy. But, um, <laughs> but that surprises me. Yeah. Because, awesome. uh, yeah, you don't, and uh, yeah, I think it's just a, it's a better, and then it makes for a better project too. And just building the community. Mm -hmm. That's right. the, I mean, that's the, the little bit, the little bit that I get to participate in is I get to talk to people for a month um, to, while they're excited about the book. And then I check in with them until the book comes. So it's just that little bit of, uh, and there's times, you know, like this last year has been um, bad to understand. What? It. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's, it's has been, anything happened in 2020? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, <laughs> but I, but, you know, personally, there's been some loss and there's been some hard times and, mm. uh, and, but the enthusiasm on the campaigns keeps you going. It's just really great. I totally see that. It's, it's like, you start thinking about the world outside and you come back and it's like, yes, but there's a whole bunch of people who are excited about this one cool thing. And I yeah. can see what that would be really helpful. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, the good thing about most of these projects are, um, like, for me, this is the RPGs and, and the books and stuff. They're my escape from whatever. Like, the, this is what I do for fun. Mm -hmm. um, I have, that's the other benefit that I have uh, over uh, other, if you guys were, like, for me, this is all fun. This is all gravy. None of it is work. I don't have to play test anything or make sure rules work or make sure, <laughs> you know, stuff is written well. I, I go on and make terrible puns and have spelling mistakes all the time. And there's no bad effects for me. So this is all fun for me. <laughs> so I get to, you know, carry that enthusiasm through. And, uh, and uh, you know, I don't know. People tolerate it for the most part. There's some, sometimes it's, I'm annoying. I get that. But. Uh, I don't think I, you're annoying. I think you're fine. No, I think, yeah. I think for me, I think the thing about, um, for me is I, one of the things with Kickstarter, I don't like it when, can, and I've backed a bunch of campaigns too. Um, the weirdest thing for me is once a campaign funds and now the great, we're going to go create this book and it's going to take a year or yep. more. And everybody sort of gets that now. Um, it's when you don't hear from the creators during any of that time. Right. Uh, and, and so I like to, I make sure that we check in, uh, like they have the Monday meeting notes every month. Like you can know what Onyx Path is up to every week mm -hmm. on every project. That's the, the um, thing I'm really impressed uh, by Onyx Path and kind of the philosophy around uh, everything you're doing now is um, the idea of we're going to put all our cards on the table. And if you want to join us, you're welcome to. And if you don't want to, we understand. We're telling you everything up front. Yep. Uh, with the Kickstarter campaign, you can read the book before we take your money. Mm -hmm. Um with the Kickstarter campaign, not only can you read the book, we're going to make you pay for shipping now, which is crazy. And that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. But, uh, but there's a lot of companies that will tell you we're going to charge shipping before the book goes out, which I get because we want to make it as accurate and exact as possible. Well, here are the things to remember. Shipping isn't going down. 
It's right. not ever going to be cheaper than it is right now. And it's crazy expensive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is it, you back a campaign and you pay a hundred dollars and you go, this is great. Well, uh, nine months from now, they say the book's ready. By the way, it's going to be $60 to ship. And it just is. Mm-hmm. What do you do at that point if you don't have the 60? So I love that we're like, it's going to be $60 to ship. And we want you to know that today. Right. We want you mm-hmm. to know everything you're getting in the book. We Here's up front. By the way, our delivery date, yes, it's a million years away. But that works out sometimes when there's a worldwide pandemic and we need that time. Just so you know, we've given you the parameters. But even mm-hmm. on the Monday meeting notes where it's like, here's everything that we're working on. Right. And, and like delivery date, I know um, some people have been frustrated by it, but I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It's like, it's better to say, we'll have it to you in two years and have it in 18 months than yeah. say we'll have it to you in a year and have it to you in 18 months. Yeah. Well, difference it, there. It's, um, I mean, as, as you know, you've alluded to something happened in 2020. There was, it was kind of a schedule record. What? But uh, <laughs> we. What are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Like there were, <laughs> there were eight books shipped in 2020 and then two books shipped in 2020 at the start of 2021. And for the most part, all of those dates were hit. Like, like, uh, we had, we had said aberrant would, um, was projected for April, 2021 and it shipped right around then, you know, like it's yeah. by the end of April, it started. So we were a few weeks behind, Yeah, but that's the kind of thing. Like I know so many people where, it, it like they're years behind now like that that one year knocked things out not just six months but a year or more yeah of just and that's why this you know all the buffer is built into the schedule because hey we're we're trying to hit the target we're trying to get it to you early um and you know there's a three or four books i think that are getting queued up right now that are going to deliver early so that's awesome but i like you, early yeah, early is I love early. I love early. <laughs> My two favorite things are um, here's your reward early, and here's the final reward in the campaign. Right. That's my yes. other favorite thing because yeah, I I like to send out a thing to all the backers at the end of every month that says you haven't been forgotten. There's nothing that you don't know about. Everything is still being worked on, and it's it can become very newslettery. It can right. become um, a, like there's a lot of months where I'm like. Like, you know that this book is going to take a year, so you're going to get 12 emails of me saying it's still in progress, mm-hmm. but I don't, and which can, that's what can be annoying for some people where it's like, you're not telling me anything, but I don't ever want people to just get ghosted and not know that the company still, because there are people that don't check the Monday meeting mm-hmm. notes as, as religiously as I do, you know, refresh, refresh every Monday night. Um, <laughs> can we just and, like give you access to them you well, can sign up to get them sent into your inbox yes and i do i do get them but wait I wait wait them. so you get them in your inbox <laughs> and you also sit there and refresh the page well, i get them in my inbox but it comes like an hour after they're posted <laughs> it's not fast enough i mean there's there's times i find out what's going on that like it's like oh there's a reward going out i sh- okay and then i email rich and i'm like hey i just saw the money meeting notes there's a reward coming out he's like you're faster than i can type <laughs> I was writing that. I was writing you. You haven't been ignored. Oh, so wow. I don't know. It's uh, I try and keep the. I, so yes, it's annoying in that I'm going to bother you once a month. But better me telling you once a month that 
we haven't that nobody's taken the money and run or that you know sorry this project is eternally derailed or just disappearing um and then you know what's going then not i guess and I we we appreciate you doing all that work definitely like i said it's not it's not hard it's fun it takes time it takes time and better me doing that than uh you know, anybody uh, not working on Essence, which is my favorite game of all time. <laughs> Canonically. <laughs> Canonically, right? Yeah. Um, well, cool. So um, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking. This has been, you know, really cool to just hear all the history and also to kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff. Um, if folks wanted to chat with you online about uh, Kickstarter or about your time working on D20 stuff, um, where would they find you online? No, nobody does, but... Uh, <laughs> but if they did. Twitter, I'm around on Twitter at one James Bell. Okay. That's probably easiest. And how about you, Dixie? If they want to talk to you about your retail experience. <laughs> if you want to talk to me about terrible customers I've dealt with uh, at my many, many retail jobs, uh, you can find me at Dixie Cyanide pretty much all over the internet, and I'm on lots of discords. You can find me on a discord. I'm Find right. me on, on every Discord. Well, no, like, I'm on, I'm on FUP, I'm on World of Darkness, I'm on Exalted Fancord, I'm in the Chronicles Discord. I have a lot of them muted, honestly, because it's, <laughs> it's, it's too many Discords. It's a lot. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely, amorphously around, like a, like a fine mist. Um, you can find me online, uh, Pugsteady.com, uh, on Twitter at Pugsteady. You can find uh, all of us uh, usually hanging out at uh, theonyxpath.com. And like Dixie said, um, uh, she and I and Matthew are, are often hanging out in the Onyx Path Discord, particularly in the Onyx Path Cash channel. So if you want to talk to us about this episode or just what's going on like today, uh, someone tried to trip me up on a Sherlock Holmes question and failed. So <laughs> that kind of nonsense is always available there. Um, and uh, at the time this goes live, uh, the Exalted Essence Kickstarter will be over. Um, we made a million dollars. Somewhere between $300,000 and a million dollars, yes. Well, we're not, like, as I'm recording, we're not even at 300000 so I don't want to say that. So somewhere we'll, between 275000 and a we'll, million dollars. We'll be at three hundred by Sunday. You think? As of this recording. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if it's not, we know who to blame. Right. Blame James. Blame um, Spill. Uh, but <laughs> as always, many worlds, one path. Yes.